Hey, thanks for stopping by. Remember to follow the Gilded Cast on Instagram. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. And don't forget to rate it and review it. This week, I want you to meet Nikki Lucas, candidate for District 42 of the New York City Council in 2021. Here's what we talked about. How are you, Nikki? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm so excited for our conversation. Um, Me too. I'm super excited. All right. East New York is home um, and we need some, some some new blood. We need some new ideas. We need some innovative leaders who want to bring East New York, lift East New York, not just, we know East New York is a very neglected community. And it's not enough to just call it out. Like we need to put forward some really bold ideas with a really clear agenda, but that only comes with, with people who have a, a clear vision for, for East New York. Tell me about your, your plan for East New York, your plan to bring East New York in the 21st century. It's an all encompassing plan. What are some of the highlights? Just so folks know, Stephanie's talking about the 21st century rescue plan uh, that I released for um, East Brooklyn, which has emphasis on East New York, Brownsville, Canarsie, East Flatbush. I kind of just got sick of people. Remember, I'm a voter as well, right? Mm -hmm. Not just a candidate. I was kind of just sick of people giving the rhetoric um, every time a campaign comes through and really not being specific about what their plan was. So when thinking about this plan, it was about those things, not just education, mental wellness, but what's really affecting these things. And what do we have to start with to kind of try to fix um, some of the things that we have? And it's really systemic. Everything was connected. So we looked at police reform, which was a really big deal. And while it was a hot topic, uh, at that, at this time and, and during the whole pandemic, it really just got magnified. Look, our communities have been going through this stuff for years. And specifically, this for those who don't know, we're in the 75th precinct. And the statistics alone that had been released about the 75th was that, one, we were the highest in, um, in, in crime and gun violence, but we were specifically the highest in police brutality. So when looking at that and looking at everything that was happening and the defund the police and people started jumping on this idea, for me, it still wasn't really crafted out the way that it really needed to be. Because while you're talking about defunding something, you're still not addressing the problem. The problem is that our community, we're being brutalized by police officers and there's no level of accountability. That's the problem. So that's how that component of the rescue plan came about when we talked about police reform. So what did that look like? One, I don't think that police officers should be allowed to build up 17 and, 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 and 18 and 19 and 20 violations before somebody says something. I created something called the three strikes rule. If you have three substantiated 
violations, you need to be terminated. You shouldn't be allowed to work anywhere else you, in, in law enforcement if you cannot control how you're dealing with people. Why three? Right? People are like, well, why don't they get rid of one? You got to give people intervention. You got to give them an opportunity to correct the problem. I think when you're talking about three, that gives them an opportunity to correct it. What else is part of this plan? The ECRB, which is nothing that I created, is something that's on the table, but we should have an elected civilian review board. But we need to make sure that they have the um, the, the authority to implant and impose um, punishment. Number three, when we talk about mental wellness and when we talk about school safety, the NYPD really shouldn't be involved in that. It really should be a separate public safety commission that comes into place that's, uh, that's developed to address specifically mental wellness and addresses public safety in our schools. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. The other part is that when officers are getting physicals, they should be, number one, mandated to get physicals every year, and that it should include mental wellness checks as part of that. Mm -hmm. They're going through specific trauma. We don't know what's happening when they come from the places that they're they're at. We need to be regularly checked, but that should go across the board, even in health, which is another component that we have in the plan. But they should be checked annually to make sure that they are well. Physical and, and, and mental are one and the same, and they affect each other. If i got to run after you and I'm not in shape, if I'm not healthy, what am I going to do? You know what? I'm not doing this. Let me take out something off my tool belt, whether it's a taser, whether it's a gun, and let me just go for that. These are things that's happening It's not being addressed. The mental wellness component is not being discussed when it comes to police officers. Why? Because there's already a stigma attached to that in our own communities. And it's a stigma attached to it in the police department. So why should I go now to on my own and get a mental wellness check? And now I got to deal with my partners and my my, my peers um, later. But if everybody's mandated, we're not having that discussion. One thing I, I want to make clear, too, that's a big part of this. The NYPD has to be removed as an income-producing agency from the city. They have to stop viewing NYPD as an income-producing agency. So shifting gears a little bit, right? I'm intimately familiar with the district, and it's beautifully diverse, and I mean, it has a great history and how it's changed throughout the decades um, to now being a primarily um, community district of color, but not just like black and like African-American and Latino, but there's like a bank, a really strong Bangladeshi community there, which I think is, is interesting. And it makes East New York district 42 specifically so unique that we, we that we have um, one of the very few Bangladeshi enclaves. Like w- where I lived on Blake, I could hear the call to prayer from the temple, from a mosque, 
on picking mm -hmm. and Euclid. Mm -hmm. I thought that was amazing. Tell me, mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about how do you reflect upon that diversity, the different sounds that 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 exist and live in East New York and District Forty Two. That's an amazing question. Um, one, I live in Starrett City, right? So mm -hmm. Starrett City, being the um, largest federally subsidized um, complex in really the country, but it's also the most diverse, mm. right? And it's become that way. But when we kind of first moved out here, when I was little, um, a little racist. <laughs> there was there's a little it was a little racist, but now it's very blended. My experience with the Bangladesh community, because I have a, a really great um, relationship with the Bangladesh community, um, they have been supportive throughout the years, and they have um, they are also supporting me now. The leadership. One thing I love about the Bangladesh community, they they're just about helping the people. They they just want deliverables to feed, to house, um, you know, to make sure that all of the needs are met. And they share, like it's open to um, everyone throughout the district. It's not just specific to the Bangladesh community. So I love that. So we get over there and, um, you know, we're taking pictures and stuff and they're like running out of bags and I hear them. And I actually do book bags every year. So every year I was giving away like a thousand book bags and I would share it throughout the different areas, some community groups, stuff like that. This year... I guess because we were running, um, I didn't get a chance to really plan my events and um, the, the book bags came late. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all these bags? So I guess God works in, in mysterious ways because I ended up saying to them, hey, can you guys use um, some book bags? Because I have some extra book bags. And they were like, heck yeah. Like, <laughs> like nobody has ever, you know, come. And, and he said this. He was like, look, nobody, people come and ask us for things, but no one has ever just given us anything. Um, mm -hmm. And and without an ask. And I didn't have an ask. So, um, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know to ask. So right. I just kind of gave um, them a few hundred bags um, and I spread it out throughout the district. And that actually was the beginning of our relationship. Nikki, are you West Indian? So my dad, um, just so that you, my, mo my mom, first of all, is from Charleston, South Carolina. Uh -huh. So, you know, there is, um, she's from the area, which is, you know, more Geechee. So there's mm -hmm. a Caribbean African blend over there. My dad, um, his mother came here when she was 15 from Panama. Mm. And um, my father, my grandfather and my grandmother uh, met because, you know, during that time they were working on, he was working on the canal and he was actually from the Bahamas. What is, what do your playlists sound like? Because they sound, the to who, me, they seem pretty fun. Just, just hearing <laughs> all of this. <laughs> well, you, you, I don't know if you noticed, but I used to own a music store. Get out. I promise to God. Uh, <laughs> I owned the music store on Pennsylvania Avenue. And I started off in a store called First Dibs um, that was owned by, shout out to Kenny Watts. Um, he had a store called First Dibs. And I actually used to go there, 
hustling mixtapes to him, right? And I was like, stop it. I I promise to God, I'm a total hip hop head. Total hip hop head. Love music. I just love music, period. A lot of people don't know that, but I love music. Kenny, actually, I kept coming to him and bringing ideas. And I was like, let my DJ, a friend of mine from high school, was like, I was like, let my DJ come and, um, you know, spin. So he would do that. And he was like, look, I can't do all of these ideas that you come. Why don't you come and do, why don't you come in the store? And I was like, uh, you know, I don't know if I wanted that responsibility. He was like, look, just get on your feet and, you know, then we'll figure it out. So I went to a friend of mine, God bless his soul. Name was Justo. He had like a record pool mm-hmm. and he had vinyl. And I had another friend, um, shout out to Tishawn Gale over at Def Jam. You can't get in trouble now, Tishawn, because it's not there no more. But he was managing, um, he, he later became um, one of the managers for Neo. And um, he was at Def Jam. He would give me real CDs, right? Mm-hmm. So he had CDs and a friend of mine, um, Bandit, he had this mixtape spot called On The Low. And they were like the first mixtape um, people downtown Brooklyn. But I went to him and I was like, hey, you know, um, you know, can I get some stuff? So everybody gave me stuff. They just gave me stuff. I started my store with no money whatsoever. My only resource was were people that I just happened to know. Right. And that's why I'm so like big on building relationships. It's very, very important. I started to make money. I started hitting them off with like money. I started to be able to pay rent. I was good. There was mm-hmm. like an electronic store and the guy had like this little space that was like a separate entrance and stuff. So he allowed me to rent the space. Um, and I sold CDs and stuff. They came in and raided my place, Stephanie, when I wasn't there. <laughs> what? what yeah, I promise you. They raided my place for the mixed CDs. And the reason why they raided my place, don't laugh, Steph. The reason why they raided my place is because when I moved on the block, people started coming to the actual store. Mm-hmm. And they weren't buying from the bootleggers anymore on the street. So the bootleggers actually called the FCC on me, believe it or not. But what I loved about it, I got to really hire people from the community, which was mm-hmm. really great. Then every culture came in there. The Jewish people from Starrett City, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the Spanish, the Blacks, the, everybody came because I had every type of music possible. It, it's so beautiful how your life story just feeds back into your public service and informs how your your vision for for the rest of the district. So thank you so much, Nikki Lucas, for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Stephanie, for allowing me to share those stories and actually getting me to share stories that I've never shared before. <laughs> <laughs> oh.